Coming up on American Medicine Today, the left's extreme push of radical policies may very well lead us into a civil war they've been aiming for. Robert Spencer joins us to highlight some of the left's strategies in his new book, The Sumter Gambit. Welcome to American Medicine Today. I'm Kimberly Benatti alongside Ethan Euchre and world-renowned orthopedic surgeon Dr. Alfred Benatti. So a new book is exposing the left's radical push of their extreme policies from CRT in schools to extreme gun control to abortion laws and has a dire warning that is this. It's only the beginning. Joining us to discuss is Robert Spencer, director of Jihad Watch and best-selling author of The Sumter Gambit, how the left is trying to foment a civil war. So thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Thank you. Certainly. So let's start with the title. What is The Sumter Gambit? The Sumter Gambit refers obviously to Fort Sumter, where the first civil war started. And the first civil war came about when the South was actually trying to force the North into starting the war and pushed the North into a dilemma where they either had to give up Fort Sumter and that would be essentially acknowledging the independence of the Confederacy or reinforce the federal troops that were there and that would start a civil war. Today, the left is trying to push patriots into the same kind of dilemma that we either go along with their radical agenda, Mm -hmm. with the drag queens and primary schools and all the rest of it, or else if we fight back, then they can say, you see, they really are the insurrectionists and traitors that we've been telling you they were, and they will use that as a pretext to crack down and implement more authoritarian measures, because ultimately these people are not respecters of the U.S. Constitution, and they don't care about our freedoms, they actually want to destroy them and create an internationalist authoritarian state. And the civil war in America would be a step in that direction for them. Now, you say that this Sumter Gambit is a strategy that's obviously been around for a long time since prior to the uh, only civil war so far that we've had. Um, but it really kind of exploded under uh, during the Trump years with the left uh, bringing this uh, this tactic about. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, you know, the groundwork actually was laid in the Obama years. And then what happened with Trump was they were kind of wrong footed. We're supposed to be right now comfortably in the middle of the second term of Hillary Clinton. And that was how the plan was supposed to go. But Trump derailed it in 2016 and forced them to take measures to try to destroy him because he threatened to destroy their whole enterprise. And in their efforts to destroy Trump, they ended up outing themselves and telling many of of the American people what they are really doing and who they really are, what they're really all about. But when you look back at the Obama years, you can see that the corruption and politicization of the military and of the federal bureaucracy in Washington and of so much more, he started it. And now we're bearing, reaping the bitter fruit of it. Anybody who's a non-leftist In other words, you don't swim along the current that they do. Um, Every non-leftist is getting pushed into what you call an impossible corner. Can you talk about that? Take, for example, what I mentioned before, the drag queens in the primary schools. The parents went to school board meetings and started to protest. And what did the Obama, the Biden administration, the Obama third term, what did the Biden administration do? They 
classified those protesting parents as domestic terrorists, and the FBI began investigations of them. Mm -hmm. And so, see, they think they're setting up a win-win situation. Either we just sit back and go along because we're too afraid Mm -hmm. of what they're going to do, or if we stand up, then they will classify us as violent extremists and so on and silence us accordingly. Now, we have to not be intimidated by this. It is fundamentally an intimidation tactic. And the worst thing that that the protesting parents could do in the face of that would be to stop protesting. What we have to do is protest all the more. So how do we protect ourselves from the Biden regime? Well, for one thing, we all have to recognize that we all have to do it, that we have to become activists, that nobody's going to do this for us. Every person should be standing up and resisting wherever this agenda advances. And we don't see that. You know, I have to say that because it's not happening. Even people that we look to as our leaders of the opposition, all too many of them have gone along with this aspect or that aspect of the left's agenda. Like even Ted Cruz, that many people on the right respect and and admire, he went along with the insurrection fiction and uh, made a statement about how terrible it was that these people tried to overthrow the government on January 6th. Well, that's a lie. Right. It is absolutely an insidious and dangerous lie because what its goal is, is to ultimately criminalize and silence all opposition in the United States. And so Cruz had no business going along with it. And we have to be calling him and others like him out about that and resisting them vocally, peacefully, nonviolently, wherever and in every situation where they try to advance their program. I wish they would release the footage because you will actually see the Capitol Police remove the barriers and usher people in. It's so (laughs) absurd. That narrative is insanity. It is, but they're building on it. Now they just take for granted that there was an insurrection, an attempt to overthrow the government. They act as if that's been established. And then we had Joe Biden's Mm -hmm. speech last September where he says Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans, because they're insurrectionists, they represent a threat to the very life of the republic. There's never been a president before who said that his principal opponent and half the electorate were outside the bounds of acceptable discourse. They're telling us what they're going to do. The next step is criminalization. We have to be aware and be resolute in resistance. Obviously, we assume that Democrats in the party on the left are going to be like, even if they don't fully agree because they're closer to the middle than the radicals Mm. are going to be like, well, at least it's our party that's doing it. But as Doc points out, even the Republicans, they don't like it, but they don't do anything about it except talk. Yeah. Well, a lot of them are controlled opposition. A lot of them are on the same payrolls. A lot of them are part of the same corruption. And so, of course, they're not going to speak out about it or they're going to pay lip service to it and then not do anything about it. You know, even years ago, Congressman Tom Tancredo, the former congressman from Colorado, said he went to Washington to fight against illegal immigration and he thought the Republicans would all be on board and none of them would help. They all thought that illegal immigration was something that should continue. They didn't want to say it publicly. They would even say the opposite publicly. But when it came down to actually doing anything about it, they were no. What can we do to get back to, you know, land of the free? How can we get back to our foundation? Well, free people have to stand to understand that now we have to take risks. We've been able to live very comfortably and peacefully in this country. And like I say, I'm not advocating anything remotely not peaceful and not anything illegal. But we have to stand up and take the risk that, yes, they are going to call us uh, bigots and racists and hate mongers and all that. And that could harm us professionally, could harm us personally. 
but we have to stand now for freedom or we will lose that freedom. It's amazing online, the the liberal loonies, as I like to call them, they their first thing is playing. You're a racist. You're a bigot. I go, aren't you sick of playing that card? That's like, what I else got. you got? That's all I have. That's <laughs> like, it. OK, yeah. whatever. On to the next one. What other insult are you going to sling at me now? But you know what? It's all they have because it works. It keeps working because we let it work. And so that's actually one of the main points I'm making here today, that we have to stop playing the game. Right. And say exactly what you just said there, that, you know, you're going to play that card again. This is a tired card. We're not falling for this anymore. And we're certainly not going to silence and deplatform the people that you demonize and stigmatize mm -hmm. on your word. And all that's over. It's just all important that we not accept their premises. All too often, we have been accepting their premises, letting them set the parameters of the debate. And that's what has to stop. Well, it certainly does need to end. Thank you so much for being on the show with us. Robert Spencer, director of Jihad Watch and bestselling author of The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Make sure you stay tuned. Coming up after the break, a story of recovery. Well, here to provide some insights on the Biden administration's political and cultural agenda is Robert Spencer, director of Jihad Watch. He's author of the new book, Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. Robert, it's always good to talk with you. So most Americans know you as a terrorism expert. But in this case, with your new book, you focus on political and cultural terrorism. So tell us what you thought of the president's speech last night, the raucous reaction from some Republicans. What's really going on here? Well, you know, a lot is being made of the reaction of the Republicans as if it's some kind of unprecedented rudeness to the president. But it has to be understood in the context of the fact that this president is the very first in American history to declare that his principal opponent and his legitimate opposition and essentially half the electorate are outside the bounds of acceptable political discourse and are essentially traitors to the republic. And he extended that in the State of the Union address, repeating his nonsense about the January 6th so-called insurrection, the threat to our democracy that it supposedly constituted, and pushing for his radical far-left agenda that would encroach further upon the freedoms of Americans. And so in light of all that, I think the Republican response was actually quite muted and far less hostile than Nancy Pelosi say, tearing up the president's speech a few years ago. Yeah, he, he wants unity. He's talking about unity and working together. But I remember that speech last September, very divisive. American colleges, universities, corporations are now spending millions of dollars on equity programs. Equity directors and executives are now commonplace in American society. So is this really class warfare, Robert? What is this push for equity and not equality, I might add? What is it all about? It's very much class warfare, Gary. It's all about trying to sow division between various groups in American society and ultimately making everyone a dependent of the all-powerful federal government. And the, the colleges and universities with their diversity, equity, and inclusion programs are working hand-in-hand with the government, which is quintessentially fascist, so that you have in a fascist state you have the government working with private entities in order to enforce an ideological lockstep, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. The idea is to shame Americans who have succeeded 
and to enforce what is frankly also a Marxist agenda of economic leveling by the confiscation of wealth, which is essentially theft from the wealthy and its forcible redistribution to those who are not wealthy, not necessarily, and actually most in, in, in most cases, not because they have been uh, the victims of racism or something of that kind, but simply because they haven't worked and are already accustomed to the idea of being dependent upon the government. And of course, we're seeing the media play into that as well. And I know in your book, you contend that the left has gradually implemented a strategy over the years to transform the nation. This isn't a recent development here, is it? Tell us more and why now? This all began really in the 1960s. You can actually even trace it uh, to far before that. But in the 1960s, it really picked up speed with the anti-war, anti-Vietnam War movement that uh, was based on the idea of, in the on the left, a long march through the institutions. That first there were sit-ins and takeovers of college and university administrative offices, but that strategy failed and was replaced by the idea on the left to just take over pretty much every institution in American society. And because most people have not been even aware of this as a conscious strategy, although it's been around since the 1960s, they've had remarkable success. So that now the left can, does indeed control the entertainment industry, the education uh, apparatus, the government, the media, it's all one point of view and only one point of view that is acceptable. If you step out of this lockstep, then you are vilified, smeared, marginalized, demonized, and so on. But it is increasingly now, as all these groups begin to try to tighten their grip and crush dissent, that Americans are waking up to it and realizing that we have to fight back now, not in uh, illegal or violent means, but through all peaceful avenues in order to protect our freedoms, which are gravely in peril. Quickly, Robert, do you believe civil war is unavoidable or can we reverse course? I believe it's very much avoidable at this point, but the left is pushing for it. For example, with the drag queens and primary schools and things like that, the idea is we either accept it, sit back and go along, in which case we've lost our children and lose our culture, or we fight back in a way that they can say, see, these people are terrorists, as the FBI classified angry parents at school board meetings protesting against all this madness as domestic terrorists. And so we have to continue to resist in peaceful means continue to speak out and remember that every one of us has to become an activist now. Nobody is going to do this for us. If we want to defend our freedoms, we all have to stand up. Okay, the book is Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. Robert Spencer, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Robert. Thank you. Likewise, Gary. Thank you. After watching uh, that video of Biden's speech and just the absolute just absolute lies that are so easy that, you know, 0.5 seconds of a fact check would tell you that it was an absolute lie, everything he said. This is my, this is my thoughts on exactly what the Democrats are thinking right now. Either they win the election or they are going to absolutely, utterly destroy everything about our way of voting and way of life in this election. That's it. 
as far as the uh, Democrats are concerned, it's either them or Armageddon. That's the facts, baby. That is exactly that. That is where we are at. Because that speech that Joe Biden just gave, they are intentionally trying to push a reaction. This isn't this isn't bad policy. This is an intentional pushing to get the American population to do something rash. I'm telling you right now, everything that you see them doing with this open border, all these immigrants pouring in, all of this hate rhetoric, they want a reaction. They want a reaction. They want civil war worse than us. I'm telling you that right now. To them, it is scorched earth. They either come out on top and stay in power, or they are going to destroy everything about this country, everything about our election system. And the mainstream media, I'm telling you right now, the mainstream media is not going to survive this election cycle. I'm going to tell you that right now. Mainstream media, they are done. After this election, mainstream media will be no more. They are going to eat themselves. You better buckle up, folks. This is fixing to be the scariest year of your fucking life. I mean, I think they're going to demonize him and die him and die him and die him and die him. And then I, I think they'll blow his airplane up. I, I really, at a gut level, believe they're going to kill Trump. Who's this? Trump? Uh, no, I mean, I mean, I believe the deep state establishment will murder him. I mean, I believe he's going to steadfast go through all this. Uh, he'll be... He'll be 30 points ahead in the primaries. Nothing's going to stop him. And then they just, uh, you know, he dies of a heart attack or just they poison him or they blow his airplane up. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Dennis Prager. From the Wall Street Journal, chaos straight out of Compton. The looting of Los Angeles area bakery is a case study in the reason there are quote-unquote food deserts in the United States. So listen to this story here. The left wants voters to believe the post-pandemic crime surge is over. (laughs) Did they ever acknowledge it existed? (laughs) But crime remains elevated in many American cities, and the public and criminals know the lawlessness is still too often tolerated. Witness the extraordinary raid on a business straight out of Compton, California, not far from where I am broadcasting. The chaos began early Tuesday when a vehicle backed through a security gate into Rubens Bakery and Mexican Food. A mob of more than 100 then rushed into the store, stealing groceries, lottery tickets, and even meat scales, and causing further damage. 100. Even if the police are there, it's, it's, a, tough, it's a tough thing to stop. Let me stop 100 people. The pillaging was preceded by a street takeover where lawbreakers block off intersections and hold street races and other spectacles of reckless driving. 
Street takeovers surged after the pandemic in and around Los Angeles and continue to plague Compton. Compton is a minority area. I think it's largely black. Is that correct? I want to take a look at the ethnic uh, racial composition of Compton. I wonder if the people of Compton, what the people of Compton think about defunding the police. Inherently lawless, the takeovers are often accompanied by other crimes. During one eight-month stretch in 2022, at least six people died in crashes and shootings during the takeovers in the L.A. area. Last April, another large mob of looters targeted a Compton gas station after a similar illegal shutdown of city streets. The Los Angeles Sheriff's Department did not reply to our inquiry by deadline Thursday, but earlier this week the local press reported that no one had been arrested in connection with the ransacking of Rubens. That's perhaps the most important sentence in the story. Bad people are very often rational. That's why reason alone is not uh, is not enough to make a good world or make good people. Bad people use reason. It's very reasonable to say, I will rob a store and get things without working for them, or at least without paying for them legitimately, especially since the police won't do anything in almost any democratic-controlled, democrat-controlled city. This is new. There was a legitimate and very necessary fear of police on the part of most citizens. It's one of the groups that one should have fear of. When there is no fear of police and no fear of God and no fear of dad, society is screwed. There's another equation for you from the Prager set of social equations like secularism plus affluence equals boredom equals violence. Yeah, no fear of police, no fear of fathers, and no fear of God. I had fear of all three growing up, now that I think of it. Yeah, it's a good thing. California Highway Patrol and Los Angeles Sheriffs and Police Departments told the L.A. Times in August 2022 that, quote, they lack the staffing to safely stop, unquote, takeovers, and officers have sometimes been, quote, discouraged from pursuing suspects in the interests of public safety. Theft of less than $950 is a misdemeanor in California if it is prosecuted at all. And that's another another thing the Democrats passed. You can steal under $950 in California. It's equivalent to jaywalking. It's an interesting question. If you steal $949, 
on Monday, and then $949 on Tuesday, is it, is it all, are they all considered misdemeanors? Do you know? It's not added up. Huh. So at that rate, you can uh, you can make 5000 bucks a week. More if you do it every day, but I've got to take a day off. You know, it's hard work, smashing a car through a... Yeah. Oh, a different store the same day. Yeah, you, that's right. You could sort of like work harder on Tuesday and take Wednesday off. Progressive often Progressives often complain about food deserts in cities that they say are the result of racism. But here is local small business that braves a rough neighborhood and is rewarded with looting and destruction. Food deserts follow where there are law and order deserts. Or, to put it another way, it is not poverty that causes crime nearly as much as crime that causes poverty. Yeah. Think you'll get a, uh, an editorial like that in the New York Times? I don't think so. The most popular comment in the, on the article in the Wall Street Journal... You get what you vote for, and Californians voted for this. I voted with my feet and moved to another state. Wow. That's an interesting, here's a response by a reader named Cynthia Hilson. Me as well, five years ago, and I am a California native of 60 years. So it was tough. Best decision ever. Scott M. Stewart, ditto. Yeah, ditto, a lot of dittos here. Did you see that, those numbers on U-Haul? The number, is that, no, it's not in that article. No, it was on Last night? No, the night before. Oh, what was the numbers on U-Haul? California again leads the country. California leads on U-Hauls leaving. Yeah. I know, I know, uh, I, friends, uh, long-time friends of mine, their son and, and daughter and grandchildren have moved uh, moved from New Jersey to uh, California, and I asked them if they had to pay for their U-Haul because they're doing U-Haul a service, bringing a bringing a truck back. Oh yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, well, U-Haul should pay them. To to <laughs> yeah, to go to California, right? Yep, everything the left touches it destroys. It, it's an odd thing when you think about it that every it's true for everything. There's no good that the left does. There's good that liberals do. There's good that conservatives do. There's no good that the left does. The left only hurts. And it, it's a very odd thing because you would think people are sometimes right. The price Germany pays for net zero, the cost keeps rising and rising, estimated to be $2 trillion in five and six years, 2030. $2 trillion, it'll be more than that. Germans stopped counting long ago, but the rest of the world still might be interested in what Europe's largest economy is paying to accomplish its transition to net zero carbon emissions. 
The short answer, there's a reason Germans prefer not to know. The, uh, the left is wrong on, on this as well, of course. They're as wrong as they were about lockdowns. And people listened because the experts and all the media told them, you have to lock down to save lives. You have to destroy the economy of the world. It's not just the West. In order to be net zero. We'll be back. In my time of need, whenever I'm down. I'm reading to you about the German economy. They'll, they'll be spending a, another $2 trillion within the next six years on uh, green energy. It's a hysteria that the Germans are particularly prone to. Uh, it's, it's a phenomenon that one has to just acknowledge. Germany is almost always wrong. I, I usually say Germany is always wrong. But always. The left is always wrong. There are times when the, the Germans take a different position. Rarely, but sometimes. The total cost approaching net zero at $1.9 trillion between now and the end of 2030. That's around 240 billion euro a year. Oh, I'm sorry. I said, did I say dollars, $2 trillion? Yeah, well, it's euro. So it is $2 trillion. 1.9 is more. That's around 240 billion euro a year for those keeping score at home. We couldn't believe it either, but we checked. And this is only for Germany, not for the entire European Union. Also, this counts only new investment. Older windmills and solar panels that require replacing in coming years will cost extra. The editorial in the Wall Street Journal ends, this is a warning for everyone else because Germany and Europe generally is much further down the path of the net zero transition than the U.S. Two decades and uncountable hundreds of billions of euros into its energy transformation, Germany's net zero bills never shrink and the promised boom in green industries and jobs never materializes. Does Washington feel any luckier? They, Of course they do, but they don't count on luck. They count on having the pliant media, like Pravda in the Soviet Union, do their bidding. And so that you have the phenomenon of young people with climate anxiety Echo anxiety? That's what it's called. Is that right? Yeah. Is there a special unit of the left that comes up with terms? Yeah. I don't know where they are, but yeah, we that that's truly there there you have the a worldwide conspiracy. How how do we manufacture terms? Uh, what are there any terms that the right has manufactured? Is woke Manufactured by the right, that term. I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, it's used by the right. No, it's used, I know, but who manufactured no, it? That's a left term. That's a left term as well? You'll be woke? Yeah. That was... Well, 
By the way, you know, there was a deadly bomb attack in Iran at a memorial service. What was his name? Soleimani? Soleimani, who was killed by Donald Trump in a fantastic attack on a monster. And uh, there was a bomb there, and it turns out it was Islamic State. Of course, the Iranians, I think they blamed Israel. But it turns out it was Islamic State. Now, why would Islamic State bomb Iran, bomb Iranians? Is it because Islamic State is Sunni and, and Iran is Shiite? Do you know why? That's an interesting question. Islamic State claims responsibility for deadly bomb attack at Soleimani, Soleimani, sorry, Memorial. I, I, I gotta say, if you if you grieve Soleimani's death, you're not among the not among the good folks. Islamic State militants claimed what'd you say? Oh, that's your theory on the Islamic State yeah. bomb? Yeah. Maybe they just like killing people. Yeah. There's truth to that. Hey. Islamic State militants claimed responsibility Thursday for a pair of bombings that killed dozens of people a day earlier in the largest attack in Iran since the country's 1979 Islamic Revolution, dispelling suspicions that Israel might have been behind the attack amid worries of a broadening regional conflagration. (laughs) Uh, I'm laughing because, of course, blame Israel. The blasts took place with the Middle East on edge because of the war in Gaza. An Islamist militant group, Hamas, has moved closer to Iran in recent years and increased tensions between the U.S. and Israel on one side, and other Iranian-backed militant groups in Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and Yemen on the other. Hmm. But what we need, I'll tell you what the West needs, when you think about it, is more people from Syria, Iraq, and Yemen. You know? Don't you agree? That's what the West is, is really lacking. An American airstrike killed an Iran-backed militia leader Thursday in Baghdad, raising concerns that the Israel-Hamas conflict could spread to multiple fronts and pull the U.S. into a more direct confrontation as American forces come under increased attack. Islamic State said that two of its operatives had detonated explosive belts at the public ceremony in the southeastern town of Kerman, where crowds were commemorating the death of Qasem Soleimani, commander of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps elite Quds, Quds is Arabic for Jerusalem force, who was killed in January 2020 by a U.S. strike. Oh, you see? The ideology of Islamic State, a hardline Sunni group, considers Shiite Muslims, which make up a majority of Iran's population, to be apostates. There you go. That's right. You were right and I was right. They like to kill, and and they're Shiites. 
So now the death toll at the Soleimani Memorial, which was well guarded, by the way, is now in Iran 85. And the Iranian government has blamed the United States and Israel, though Islamic State is taking credit. And one, it seems to me to be a fairly powerful argument that it wasn't the U.S. or Israel, is that it was two suicide bombers. Israel and the United States don't have suicide bombers. America may be committing suicide, but it is not via suicide bombing. And anyway, that's suicide here, not suicide there. It's not a, not a good part of the world, my friends. But people are not allowed to say that because then they're called Islamophobic. As if the world of the Islamic world, especially in the Middle East, is the moral equivalent of Western civilization. There are awful people in the West and terrific people in the Muslim world. But the civilizations that have been created at this time in history, there is no comparison, which is why so many people from the Islamic world want to live in the West and it's hard to imagine anybody in the Western world who doesn't have a relative there wanting to move to, let us say, Syria. Imagine your neighbor showing up one day at your house and say, you know, we've decided to move. And if you live where I do in California, that's something you hear constantly. And you say, oh, where, Florida? No, 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 no. Syria. It's an unlikely scenario, so we put it to you that way. Most unlikely. So you got the U-Haul data talking about moving? U-Haul 2023 data confirms blue state exodus. So it's got a listing of all the states. Is that the issue here? Yeah. U-Haul what is it? Growth states? I'm not, I'm not sure how to read this chart, to be honest. So it says Texas, 18. What does that mean? Florida, 19. It doesn't... Uh, I can't say I understand what it means. No, if you look at it really, really carefully, that's all you see. It can now cost four to ten times more to rent a U-Haul in a blue state like California to move to a red state like Utah than to make the opposite move. <laughs> uh, yep, that makes sense. This is to reimburse the U-Haul companies for the cost of having to pay a driver to get the vans and trucks back to the blue states. That's what I say if you if you know somebody, one of the rare few to actually move from a red state uh, to a blue state from a conservative or Republican-run state to a Democratic-controlled state, the U-Haul should pay them. They're, they're, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Well, they don't pay them, but it's... It's a much cheaper. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is like paying them. Is yeah, it's, it's four to ten times cheaper. Yeah, but the chart is... The chart is what? Is a listing of... U, it's U-Haul growth states, the states that U-Hauls are going to. 
No, it's just, it's okay. Number one, Texas, which was number one in the previous year. Number oh, this is so. What does the number eighteen mean? Where's are you seeing eighteen? Texas eighteen, Florida nineteen, North Carolina twenty. Oh, I'm reading. Oh God, it's not a very, very easily read list. I get it. Those are the number. That's the order of the states. So that's so California is fiftieth. Yeah, California the the least number of people moving. This is fascinating. Yeah, now I'm really fascinated. So right, so forty nine. In other words, the the least number of Americans are moving to California. The second least from well U haul. Okay, you well well U haul is the best indication. Massachusetts is next, most people leaving. Illinois is next. New Jersey, Michigan, Louisiana, Maryland, New York, Connecticut. <laughs> uh, that pretty much covers it. The the first nine states. I don't know. I don't know what Louisiana's uh, political makeup is. The states most moved to are Texas, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Idaho, Washington. How do you explain that? I I don't think they're moving to Seattle, though. But maybe, maybe they are. We'll be back. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of Pragertopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at pragertopia.com.